This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. My name is Drew Williams. I'm a pastoral resident here at the church, and it's my uh, joy and privilege to read and proclaim God's word this morning. So if you have your Bible, please open up to Psalm 139. We are in the middle of a series called Counsel from the Psalm. So we have the privilege to be counseled from Psalm 139 this morning. If you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers would be happy to bring you one. We're going to be looking at a lot of verses in Psalm 139. So it'd be great if you had one to follow along with us. Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. But search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word to us this morning. What, what a psalm. What a passage of scripture God has given us to look at this morning. Uh, Derek Kidner is an Old Testament 
scholar. He's written a commentary on the Psalms, and he says this about Psalm 139. Any small thoughts that we have of God are magnificently transcended by this psalm. Yet for all its height and all its depth, it remains intensely personal from first to last. Magnificently transcendent and intensely personal. That describes this psalm, doesn't it? It describes our God as well, which we'll see. Have you ever had a moment when your thoughts about God were magnificently transcended, like Kidner talks about? Uh, I I had a moment like that. It was when I first read the book, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer. Have any of you read that book? It's it's a wonderful book. The chapter that stuck out to me the most is called The Majesty of God. The, The whole chapter is about God's limitless nature, uh, he, he talks about God's omniscience, the idea that God knows everything there is to know. God's omnipresence, the fact that he's everywhere all the time. His omnipotence, the fact that he has all power, can do anything. The point is that God is not like us. He is limitless. He is great and greatly to be praised. Later in the chapter, Packer says, the world dwarfs us, but God dwarfs the world. This was different theology than I was used to, and it thrilled my heart, and it still does. Toward the the end of the chapter, Packer says this, and this really sets the table for our psalm. He says, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life, every moment, in the sight and company of an omniscient and omnipotent creator. Living becomes an awesome business when you live in the presence of God. I think that's what Psalm 139 is all about. It's about living in the awesome presence, the awesome business of living with God. This this psalm, it leads us to contemplate the God who is high above us, and yet right beside us. The, the one who's, who's infinitely high and intimately near. And ultimately, it leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. So our goal this morning is simple. It's to walk through this psalm and just be amazed at who God is and the fact that he is with us. So actually, let's, let's pray to that end before we dive in. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you see us and know us. Lord, I pray that your presence would be manifest now as we hear your word. Lord, we we long to learn about you, but more than anything, we long to encounter you. So I pray that you would come by your spirit, draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our main point this morning is God is with you. Rejoice in his intimate presence. God, God is with you. Rejoice in his intimate presence. Psalm 139 is composed of four stanzas, each with six verses. So it's beautifully constructed. It's symmetrical. And it's all aimed at one point, to make the point God is intimately near to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each of these stanzas in four points. Point one 
is God sees me. Verses one through six. Point two, God surrounds me. Verses seven through 12. Point three, God shapes me. Verses 13 through 18. And point four, God sanctifies me. Verses 19 through 24. So let's go ahead and get started. God sees me. Verse one. Please look with me in verse one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. In these verses, David meditates on God's intimate knowledge of him. Look at the verbs, and I know some of you guys are like coming back to school, but we might have some language of verbs, objects. So look, look at the verbs here in, in this first stanza. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. You search out. You know it all together. These verses highlight God's omniscience. God knows everything. He's limitless in his knowledge. We, um, we have a book at home that we like to read to our kids called, Did God Have to Learn His ABCs? You know, it's a great picture of the ABCs and the question is, did God have to learn his ABCs? What do you think? Oh, the answer is no. No, God didn't have to learn his ABCs. God has never learned anything. Isn't that an amazing thought? God has never had to learn something new, and he's never forgotten anything old. All knowledge about everything is before him all the time. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. But the psalm doesn't just say that God knows everything about the world. It says that God knows everything about me, about you. God knows everything about you. Look at the object in these verses. Oh Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you search out my path, my lying down. You know it all together. It is intensely personal. His, he knows when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows everything about me. He knows what's on the outside, what I let other people see, and he knows what's on the inside, what I don't let other people see. He knows, he knows me. He knows my most intimate and secret thoughts. Have you ever had an experience when um, you're talking about something in private and then something related, related to that shows up on your social media feed? Have you guys had that before? It's the weirdest thing. I mean, you're sitting, you're talking with your wife about how you might want a burrito, that you're hungry, and then, and then immediately an ad pops up for Taco Bell. You think, oh, how, how did that happen? That's, that's convenient, interesting. It happened the other day to us. Uh, we were talking about what everybody seems to be talking about these days, pickleball. So we were, we were just reminiscing about how Tom and Lonnie taught us how to play pickleball and think should teach everyone in the church how to play pickleball. And we were talking about how more people in the church have started to play pickleball. And lo and behold, five minutes later, an advertisement on Instagram for a personal pickleball coach. Can you believe it? That you, you can hire a personal pickleball coach. So let me just encourage you, if you find yourself on the losing team every time in a pickleball game, you can hire your own coach and you can improve. It's amazing how much these companies know about us. When we, when we speak, when we search for something on the internet, they, they seem to know it and capture it and can advertise to us uh, in an appropriate way. But even their knowledge is limited, isn't it? They, they only know what I say or what I search for. 
But God's knowledge of us, it's limitless. It's comprehensive. One author said, he's done a thorough investigation and has exact knowledge of us. The Psalm says that he doesn't have to listen to our conversation, that he knows our words before they're even on our tongue. He knows what I say, he knows what I feel, he knows what I think, and verse five tells me that he knows what I need. Verse five, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The, the idea here is that God is providing and protecting us. He's providing for us. His hand of protection is on us. He sees the troubles that we face, and his hand of protection is on us. He doesn't just know what I think and feel. He knows what I fear. He knows what you fear. He, he knows what you dream about, what you hope for, what you desire. God knows it all. There are no secrets hidden from him. Look at how David responds to this in verse six. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. It's like he's saying, it's so wonderful that God knows me, I can't even tell you everything about it. I can't even tell you all the thoughts God has of me. It's high knowledge, I can't attain it. While, while it may be annoying or even slightly alarming how much social media companies know about me, because of God's grace in Christ, it's wonderful that God knows everything about me. Because we could be tempted to think, wow, if God knows everything about me, I'm in a lot of trouble. Right? If God, if God knows what I think and what I say when nobody else is around, that's bad news for me. But because of Christ, because Christ has died for our sins and washed them away in his blood, it is wonderful that God knows everything about me. It's wonderful because not only does he know you truly, he loves you completely. It's wonderful. We may say it like this. The one, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. Isn't that wonderful? The, the one who knows everything you think, even the sins that are deep down that other people don't see, that one, that God, he loves you the most. That is wonderful. See, if God knows me but doesn't love me, that's terrifying. And if he loves me but doesn't really know me, that's unsettling because he might find out something about me that he doesn't like. But his love for me and you is utterly realistic. There was a song that I, I used to sing in, in youth group that said something along the lines of, you know the depths of my heart and you love me the same. That's what God's love is like. He's not ignorant of our sin it's that he chooses not to count our sin against us because of Christ. What, what love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy, it's more. It's, it's not that God 
doesn't remember our sins. God knows everything. He can't forget anything. It's that he chooses not to count them against us because of what Christ has done. So he, he sees the real me, and he loves me. This is amazing. Meditating on this truth counsels us in so many ways. It, it tells us that we don't have to hide from God. We don't have to perform for God. You see, if God sees me, I really can't hide from God. There's no hiding from God. He sees everything. But if God loves me, it means I don't have to hide from God. It means he's going to call me to himself. If God sees me and loves me in Christ, it means there's no need to perform. Your, your life isn't a performance where you're trying to work hard enough to gain God's approval so that he'll love you. This psalm says that God sees you, knows you, and loves you in Christ. This, this knowledge, it's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful that God sees us and loves us? But that's, that's not it. This next stanza tells us that not only does God see me, God surrounds me. It, if the first one says there's no hiding from God, the second one says there's no escaping God. God's presence is inescapable. Look, look with me in verses 7 through 12. Verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? What, what David's not doing is saying, I want to get away from you. It's a hypothetical question saying, even if I wanted to get away from you, God, where would I go? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go to get, away from, to get away from God. These verses tell us that God is omnipresent. Each, each one of us is limited with regards to space, where we can be at a given time. Each one of us is at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville right now, sitting in one seat, one place, and one time. We're limited. God is not limited in that way. God is everywhere all the time, which is good news because it means he's with me and you wherever we go. Look, look at verse eight. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. There He's talking about if I go to the highest place, God is there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol is a reference to the grave. If I die and am buried six feet under, God is there. So if I go to the highest place, God is there. If I go to the lowest place, God is there. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, that's a reference to the sunrise in the east. Sun rises in the east. He's saying, if I go at the speed of light and catch the sunrise all the way east, you are there. And if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, it's a reference to the Mediterranean Sea that's to the west of the promised land. He's saying, even there you are. If I go north, south, east, west, it doesn't matter. You are there with me. This, this is amazing. God's presence is not limited. He's at every spot on the compass. He's, he's in the hospital room. He's, he's in that new city that you're moving away to for grad school or wherever you have to move. If you have to leave friends and family and move somewhere new, God is there. If you're at home right now live streaming because you're sick, God is there. His presence is unlimited. 
You can't get away from God. I uh, had an environmental science professor in college who used to ridicule us whenever we said that we were throwing something away. He was making a point about recycling and you throw something in the trash. He would always ask the question, where is a way? And I was like, what are you talking about? Where is a way? I'm throwing it away. No, he said, think about it. Like, where is a way? Well, I don't know. Where, where is a way? He was being very condescending. But the point was, the point was that your trash doesn't just vanish. It goes somewhere, right? It goes to a landfill. And I just always have that question in my mind, and sometimes I'll bring it up at home just as a joke. Where is a way? But think about it. When it comes to God, where is a way? There is no way. Wherever you go, God is there. And I just want to pause and speak to those who are here who might be trying to run away from God. Maybe... Maybe you're here this morning to appease a family member or a friend. You don't really want to be here, but you're just, you're just thinking, okay, I'll, I'll come here for this reason or that. If you're trying to run away from God, let me invite you to stop trying to do what cannot be done. God's presence is inescapable. You cannot run away from him. But what you can do this morning is you can turn to him. Oh, if you, if you turn to God, if you turn to Christ and ask for mercy, he will receive you with open arms. Uh, the line we sang this morning, Jesus, friend of sinners, he's a friend of those who have tried to run away. Come to him this morning. Don't run away. So where is a way? There's no such thing when it comes to God. So these verses tell us that no distance can separate us from God. But they also tell us that no darkness can separate us from God. Look, look with me in, in verse 11. It says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The darkness that David's referring to, it's a, it's a metaphor for trouble and trials in our lives. It's, it's a metaphor for when we're confused and perplexed and don't know what's going on. Uh, ever, since I was, ever since I was a little kid, I've, uh, I've been a sleepwalker. Does anyone else, does anyone else sleepwalk? I, it is the most bizarre thing, and I've done it ever since I was a little kid, and my parents are actually here, and they could give you more stories about my sleepwalking than I want to share. But, um, I mean, and it's one of those things that I, I, I guess I forgot to tell Maria about before we got married, <laughs> which, was, which was not a great call. So the first night she you know, woke up in the middle of the night, I was in the living room organizing my desk. In, uh, in my sleep. It's just bizarre. Um, one time uh, we were on a family vacation and uh, we were in Florida and we were in a hotel and I was on, we were staying on like the seventh or eighth floor or something like that. And in the middle of the night, I, I was probably six or seven years old, eight years old, something like that. In the middle of the night, I slept walk out of the room to the elevator, took the elevator down, went into the third floor and I woke up in the middle of the night on the third floor. No idea how I got there. I was so disoriented. But the worst experience I had, and I, like I said, I have several, but the worst experience 
was when I was, I think I was nine years old, and I stayed the night at a friend's house. Uh, we were staying upstairs in his room, and I sleptwalk out of the house into his dad's tool shed. Yeah, and so it was one of those outdoor tool sheds that kind of stand alone, and so I opened the door, walked into the tool shed, shut it behind me, and I was standing there in the middle, and then I woke up. It is pitch black. All I can see are the vague outlines of, of a power saw here, a circular saw here, and I'm just like, what am I gonna do? I can't, I can't go anywhere. So literally, I, I just sat down on the floor and waited for the morning to come. That's, that's all I knew to do, and so I waited till I got light out and then got out. But the worst part, the worst part about sleepwalking is waking up in the dark. When you're in the dark, you feel so disoriented. You think, I don't, I don't know where I am. I don't know where to go. I'm not in control. And that's often the case with dark circumstances in our lives, isn't it? Right? We're, we're, should, I, should I turn this way? Should I turn that way? Should I walk back? Should I walk front? I, I don't know. Where do I go? So let me just ask you, what, what darkness are you facing this morning? Right now, what darkness are you experiencing? Are you experiencing the darkness of disappointment, of, of hopes that you had that were never realized, of a failed or, or a floundering relationship that you thought was going somewhere? Are you experiencing the darkness of spiritual depression that we learned about last week, just a sense of God's absence that won't lift are you experiencing the darkness of physical pain and sickness, not knowing when the light will come? Verse 11, it doesn't say when you will get through the darkness or how you will get through the darkness, but it tells us something better. It tells us that we're not alone in the darkness. Isn't that good news that we are not alone in the darkness? God is with you. There's no distance you can travel to get, way, to get away from his presence, and there's no darkness you can face where his eyes can't see you. While your circumstances may be dark or perplexing, nothing is dark to him. Your darkness is as light as the day. And you can be sure that God is with you in the darkness. He's in the darkness with you, because he's already gone into the darkness for you. The Son of God, who experienced nothing from all eternity but God's light and presence, he entered into our dark world, experiencing the ultimate darkness on the cross. Matthew's Gospel says that there was darkness over the land from the sixth hour to the twelfth hour, a picture of the spiritual darkness Christ was experiencing while he suffered on the cross. As he died, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why did God forsake him on the cross? Why did Jesus cry that? Jesus experienced the darkness of God forsakenness so that we would know that God would never forsake us. God would never leave us in the darkness. He did it so that we could be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. No, no darkness separates you from God. He can see you. He is with you. And that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? 
It's wonderful that God sees me and surrounds me. Don't you see how this says that God is near? Oh, if you're tempted to feel that God is distant from you this morning, just hear this word that even, even your feelings of God's distance don't separate you from him. The gospel says, what Christ has done says that God is near. He is with you. But not only does God see me and God surround me, God also shapes me, shapes every day of my life. This, this is the most intimate stanza of our psalm and, and some of the most intimate verses of all of scripture. And I want to just walk through each one of them. So look at verse 13. He's saying, for, you form my inward parts. That word for, verse 13, it means it's connected to something that's gone before it. So, so the logic here is something like, how do you know you can't get away from God, that you'll never escape his presence? Verse 13, for you form my inward parts. The idea is, God will always be with me because he's always been with me. Even when I was being knit together in my mother's womb, God was there. He'll never leave you because he's always been with you, even before you were born. For you formed my inward parts. That, that term, inward parts, could literally be translated kidneys. The idea of my organs, right? It doesn't get more intimate than this. God created every one of your organs, every one of mine. He knitted us together in, his mother, in our mother's womb. The, the image here is of God as a master craftsman. Imagine just a, a carpenter sitting at his bench with his project in front of him, and he's just, he's shaping, he's shaping. The idea here is he did that for us in our mother's womb. You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together. God shaped me, he shaped you, he shaped every one of us. He, he wove my tendons and my ligaments, my flesh and my bones, my chromosomes, my DNA. My DNA is written by God. Isn't that amazing? I, hope, I think this can bring comfort to any of you who are really struggling with physical ailments. Are you just discouraged? My body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. I'm struggling, I feel sick and tired. God knows. God knows everything about your body. You know why? Because he formed it in your mother's womb. He's, he's not distant or unaware. And the response is, David says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Nobody just develops in the womb. We're, we're designed by God. When he, said, I, I saw, when he said that God saw, God saw my unformed substance, my frame was not hidden from him. It may be a reference to Genesis 1-2, where Genesis 1-2 says the earth was without form and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. The idea here is that God created all matter, but then in Genesis 1, what does he do? He begins to shape everything. Sun, moon, stars, uh, plants, animals in the sky, animals in the sea. God shaped his creation. You see what it's saying? It's saying the same way God did that with the world, he's done that with each one of us. He's, he did that with every part about you. Derek Kidner says, God is the author of every detail of my being. 
So how does this counsel us? This is uh, from Christopher Ashe. He wrote a commentary on the Psalms, and I love this quote. He says, I am not to regret that I am not someone else, that I didn't have different parents or a changed upbringing. For however, for however flawed it seems to me, however painful, I may trust that in Christ, God has shaped me just as he purposed for me to be. He shaped me just as I was purposed to be. So a question, do you wish that you had somebody else's life or somebody else's body? This psalm says that God has designed you exactly the way you are. He's given you a life to live for his glory. In verse 16, the, the image shifts from a craftsman at the bench to an author writing a story. Do you catch that? Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The idea here is that just as God planned each part of my body, he's planned every day of my life. There's a day, think of your life as a story that God is writing, right? There's a day for your birth, God wrote it. There's a day for your death, God wrote it. You won't live one day longer or one day shorter than God has written for you. And every day in between, every single day written by God. It's amazing, there, and, there's no, and there's no wasted chapters in God's book. I think so often we're tempted to think that a season of our life is, is like a wasted chapter in a book. But this psalm says, no, 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 God writes each one. According to many different polls, the, the greatest work of literature in the 20th century is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Can I get an amen? Maybe not, I don't know. I don't know if you're into Lord of the Rings. Anyway, I like Lord of the Rings, and um, I... I actually had the privilege of teaching Lord of the Rings for the past couple years when I was a teacher before I came on staff here. And uh, some students were all in and excited to dive into Middle Earth, and other students were not so excited about it, to say the least. And one of the main critiques that came up over and over again is, why does it have to be so long? It was like long was always, you know, there was six or seven O's in there saying long. Why does the story have to be so long? And what I had to communicate over and over again is that there's really no wasted chapters in Lord of the Rings. Every single one has a purpose. One, I, know, I, don't know, I don't know if you believe me or if they believe me, but I believe this, so I said it. <laughs> because one of the main themes in Lord of the Rings is that the hobbits grow up throughout the story so that at the end they're ready to face the challenges that are set before them. By nature, this is a quote from the prologue, hobbits are unobtrusive, simple creatures that like nothing more than a well-tilled farm and a good pipe. That's what hobbits are like. But by the end of the story, they're playing a critical role in defeating evil and saving Middle-earth. The point is that each chapter, each challenge they face, shaped them and formed them and prepared them for what God had. Tolkien didn't waste any chapters, and God doesn't waste any chapters in our lives. Let me encourage you, if Tolkien knew what he was doing in his story, how much more does God know what he's doing in your story? How much more does God know what your season of sorrow is for? 
How much more does God know what this chapter of your life is all about? Verses 17 and 18, this is how we should respond to this truth. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. It's precious that God writes the story of my life, of your life. It's precious that no season is wasted. No season is purposeless. No season is wasted by God. And look at what that says. I awake and I'm still with you. When, your fi- when the final chapter of your life is over and you lay down for that final sleep of death, you will wake up and God will still be with you. His face will be the first one you see. That's how, that's how the story ends. We don't know. I don't know what your story will look like, what chapters God has written for you, but for anyone who's in Christ, that's the final chapter. That's where we're going for. Isn't it amazing? It's precious that God surrounds me. God shapes me, shapes my life. Finally, point four, God sanctifies me. Now, at first glance, the stanza is a bit perplexing. <laughs> I don't know if you thought that as I read it. We're reading, how precious to me are your thoughts. You, you form my inward parts. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. It's kind of like, whoa, what's, that's, a, that's a shift in the text, isn't it? I don't, I don't, there's no coffee cups with these verses written on them, right? <laughs> um, but if you think about it, it's really not strange at all. What David's saying is, When you've been in the presence of a holy God, you long for the world to be holy as he is holy. You long for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't about personal vengeance, but it's about a desire for God's kingdom. It's about taking sides and saying, I'm on your side, God. I'm not with the wicked. Lord, you are intimately with me and I am with you. I'm going to be on your side, O oh Lord. But you notice that as soon as David talks about the sin out there, he shifts to focus on the sin in here. He says, search me, O oh God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, I confess to you, Lord, I know you see me and know me through and through, and I know there's things in my heart that are not good, that are not pure, Lord. I know that you've forgiven them in Christ, but cleanse them from me. It's a wonderful prayer to pray. So God truly sees you. He completely loves you. He surrounds you. He shapes every day of your life, and he promises to sanctify you. It's an awesome business to live in God's presence, isn't it? It's an awesome business to live day by day in the sight of the God who made us and loves us. We began with J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. I think it's fitting to conclude with a quote from this masterful book. This is from a chapter called Knowing and Being Known. He says, What matters supremely, therefore, is the fact that he knows me, I'm graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. Amen. There is unspeakable comfort indeed. It's unspeakable comfort that God sees me, that I don't have to hide. I don't have to perform. I don't have to pretend I'm someone I'm not. God sees me. 
unspeakable comfort that God surrounds me wherever I go, whatever I face. I can never flee from his presence. It's comfort that God shapes me. None of my life is random. Every day written for me. And it's comforting to know that God will sanctify me one day completely when we see his face. So God is with us. God is with you. Let us rejoice and sing and worship in his intimate presence. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you see us and know us. Lord, I pray that you would impress that truth home on us, that we would know that we are continually before you. Thank you, Father, that you see us and surround us. There's nowhere we can go from your spirit, nowhere we can flee from your presence. So Lord, we want to come and worship you now in spirit and truth. Help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.